Today on The Journey. All of the Old Testament is pointing us to the reality of Christ. The Old Testament is a shadow. The law is a shadow of things to come. A shadow has passed over humankind. It wasn't the real thing, but it caused us to seek the source of the eclipse. And in the finding, we discovered true freedom. Today, Ron Moore shows us that real thing, the shadow maker, that transforms a darkened heart into the light of the world. Also, we want you to know about a companion devotional to this series. There you'll learn how to share in Christ's overflowing life, a life full of joy and passion. It's available as a digital download for a donation of any amount at ronmore.org. Your gift today will help further this ministry of developing followers of Jesus Christ. Now here's Ron with part two of a message titled, Overflowing, Fully Free, On The Journey. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Colossians, a letter written by the Apostle Paul to this church in Colossae, and they're going through some challenging times that we're going to talk about today. Now, as you're turning to that passage of Scripture, I have a confession to make. I am a recovering legalist. I've been recovering from legalism for about the past 25 years. The religious pathway I started on was loaded with legalistic landmines. In fact, when I think back of some of the kids I went to church with in junior high and high school, and even in college, they got spiritually blown away by some of those landmines. In the formative years of my Christian training, it was ingrained in my thinking that in order to know God and in order to please God, I had to follow a set of rules and regulations. And I not only took that on as my personal philosophy, Man, I transferred my philosophy to all those around me, and I judged everyone around me by my personal man-made standards. Now, there's some devastating characteristics that flowed from this belief system. Number one, I was very proud, spiritually arrogant, because few Christians I knew we're making the same sacrifices and we're trying to hit the same standards. I was very judgmental because I judged and viewed everyone through my checklist of do's and don'ts. And I got to tell you, I lived with a lot of guilt. No matter what I portrayed on the outside, inside, I knew I couldn't jump the bar. I couldn't meet the standard that I had established, and I'm telling you what, it is a miserable place when you promote standards you can't keep. Now, if I was to give you a list of my do's and don'ts, you'd probably say, you know, those were things you probably should have done, and those were things you probably should have not done. But it wasn't the do's and the don'ts. It was the problem that I was using that as the standard to be accepted by God and to understand and receive the love of God. See, I was trying to do things to gain God's approval based on my human ability and trying to meet all these standards. And because of that, I lived with a whole lot of confusion. When I pulled it off, which seldom happened, 
there was a lot of pride. And when I failed, as I often did, I felt like a spiritual slob. So sometimes I was better than everyone else, and other times I'd concluded, you know what? I'm just not disciplined enough or serious enough to be a real Christian. Well, here's the real problem of legalism. That's what Paul addresses in this portion of Colossians. Look at chapter 2, verse 20. Paul says, Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of the world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with us because they are based on human commands and teachings. Legalism is the human effort to please God by following a set of rules and regulations. Here's the real issue. Look at verse 23. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Man, isn't that the truth? You do these things, and they look so good from the outside, but you can't enforce heart change. You cannot enforce something to change in another person's heart. See, the problem with legalism is it has all the appearance of religious devotion, but is void of any transforming power. Like the Pharisees in the New Testament, the champions of legalism in the New Testament, Jesus says, you are like whitewashed tombs. You look beautiful on the outside with all your garb and all your robes and all your stuff, but on the inside, where it really counts, where God sees It's like dead man bones in there. And that's what the law is. It looks so good. It's all up front. But there's nothing inside. Void of any transforming power. In Isaiah, the Lord says, These people come near me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up of only rules taught by men. You see, outward stuff can never change the heart. But those things flow from a heart that love God and want to please Him. Remember what Paul says, all these things lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Legalism has all the appearance of religious devotion. No transforming power. Now, In Colossae, the legalists were the Jewish believers. And they said, yeah, we're Christians, we've trusted in Christ, but we're also Jews, and we have this rich Old Testament ceremony and law, and we can't leave that behind. We've got to bring it with us. So it's about Christ, yeah, we agree with that, but it's also about this other stuff. It's about Jesus, but it's also about these rituals. So if you're going to be a real Christian, you also have to follow all this Old Testament stuff. So Paul addresses that. And here he explains the purpose of the law. Look at verse 16. 
Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat, what you drink, or with regard to religious festival, a new moon celebration, or Sabbath day. Don't let anyone say you are not as much a Christian as me if you don't do those things. Because he says in verse 17, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. They're a shadow. Now, the Old Testament is fantastic. The Old Testament is inspired by God. We learn from the Old Testament. It has a great purpose for us as it teaches us universal truths throughout. But the ceremonies and laws were shadows of something not yet seen. So you're in your house at night. It's a serious storm going on outside. Lightning and thunder. And you're watching a scary movie. And in the middle of the movie, you see a shadow moving along the wall. Is the shadow visible? Yeah, you can see it. Can you experience a shadow? Yes, you are frozen in fear. But is the shadow the real thing? Can the shadow help you or hurt you? Huh. Here's what you know. When there's a shadow there, something real making that shadow is close by. Look at verse 17. Paul says there are shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in who? Found in Christ. That's the reality. That's what we've been waiting for. The Old Testament, all the shadows of the real thing. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, Do not think I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I didn't come to take them away. I came to complete them. Well, let's think about that for a second. On this side, we have the Old Testament, and here is the New Testament. And the one thing that separates the Old Covenant from the New Covenant is Jesus Christ. So all of the Old Testament is pointing us to the reality of Christ. The Old Testament is a shadow. The law is a shadow of things to come. Let's think about that. I'm going to break this down into three things. This is way too simplistic because these overlap and we could have a lot of discussion on this. But just for today, there was the civil law. And under the Old Testament, they lived in a theocracy. And so God put before them a national law. Here are things you do. Here are things you don't do. When your neighbor moves your boundary line, here are the things you do. Here are the things you don't do. They lived under that theocracy. That was the shadow of something to come because now who is the head of the church? Jesus Christ. And we live now in the church age with him as a head. Yeah, I believe in a future for the nation of Israel, but right now we are living in the church age and Christ is the head of the church. So he fulfilled, completed the civil law. He is now the head. Then you have ceremonial law. Ceremonial law would be the sacrifices. Penalty of sin has always been death. And so God says, I'm going to provide a sacrificial system. You deserve to die, 
But you can take these animals and you can sacrifice them and their death, their blood, will pay for your sin. Now, you're going to have to keep doing it over and over, but their death will pay for your sin. So, beautiful picture in the Old Testament. You have the nation of Israel getting ready to leave Egypt and God says you take a lamb, you slaughter the lamb, and where do you put the blood? On your doorposts. Because the angel of death is going to come by. And when the angel of death sees the blood on your doorpost, what's the angel going to do? Going to pass over you. And so they celebrated the Passover in that remembrance for years and years and years and years to come. And Jewish people still do. But what does Scripture say in the New Testament? Jesus Christ is what? Our Passover lamb. The shadows of the Old Testament sacrifices done over and over and over again is now done one time for all time in Jesus Christ. He didn't come to abolish the Old Testament law. He came to fulfill it, complete it. These are shadows. All the New Testament looks at the reality of Jesus. One more thing. And again, this is oversimplified, but moral law. The summation of the moral law would be what? Ten Commandments. So we have those summarized, the moral law, in the Ten Commandments. The uh, moral law tells us here's the bar. Jump it, and we can't jump it. Jesus is the one who comes and jumps it for us. He completes the moral law. And here's what he does. In the New Testament, Jesus takes each of the Ten Commandments and repeats them and ups the ante. So he says, you've heard it said, you don't murder, but I tell you, if you hate someone in your heart, that's murder. The Old Testament says, don't commit adultery. But I tell you, if you lust for a woman in your heart, commit adultery in your heart. In fact, all the commandments are repeated in the New Testament except one. He does not repeat, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Now let's think about that. What was the purpose of the Sabbath? On that day, you didn't work. It was a reminder that you don't work to have a relationship with God. You rest. If you're going to fix a meal on the Sabbath, you had to fix it the day before. You don't work that day. It was a reminder that you were dependent on God. While all the pagan nations were working around you, you weren't working. Your crops were waiting in the field. Totally dependent on God. You rested in Him. That was a reminder all day long that that's where your sustenance comes from. And that day was a day of worship. You worshiped Him. Now, why wouldn't Jesus repeat that for the New Testament believer? Because as a writer to the Hebrews says, Jesus is our Sabbath rest. There's not one day to worship Him. It's every day. Every time's a worship of Him. He is the one. You can't work for a relationship to God. We depend on His work on the cross. In Him is our Sabbath rest. Now, that doesn't mean you should be a workaholic. You need to take a day off. There's a health issue to the Sabbath as well. But the spiritual principle was God is your sustenance. Depend on Him. He'll do the work for you as you just let the fields go. And we have that same principle. You cannot work to have a relationship with God. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. First Peter says this, 
you're redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. He's the reality of the shadow. Paul says this in Galatians 3, so the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ. Other translations say the law is our tutor that tells us, here's the bar, ha-ha, you can't jump it. You need someone to jump it for you. The law is the tutor that leads us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. You are called sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. See, the purpose of the law was to lead us to Christ. It was a shadow of the real thing. Now, one more thing. In the New Testament church, with the Jewish believers, Paul's addressing here in this issue of legalism, there was one other thing, and that was the issue of circumcision. The Jewish believers said, wait a second, you may argue away all the other stuff, but circumcision, that's the sign of the covenant. That's the real deal. And there's no way that we can let that go. Look what Paul says in verse 11. In him, you are also circumcised in putting off the sinful nature, not with circumcision done by hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ. It's not circumcision done with the hands of men. That's the physical aspect. And that had its part. But it was a shadow of one who would come and take away the flesh from the heart and from the inside out change you. Not by hands of men, not by human teaching, not by traditions, by the transforming power of the Holy Spirit working in your heart. Jesus did it as he died on the cross for your sins. How does this all happen? How did God transform the believer at the cross? Look at verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. Now think about that. You were dead. A corpse cannot move. A corpse cannot reach out. A corpse can't do any work. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. In the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. And then look at the next line. He forgave us all our sins. The believer is fully forgiven. What is better than that? To be able to live your life knowing that your sins are forgiven, not because of something you have done, because if it's something you have done, it is something you can undo. But because of Christ, because of the cross, God made you alive. You were dead. I was dead. I couldn't reach out. God made me alive with Christ, and he forgave all my sins. Now, how did he do that? Look at verse 14. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code that stood against us. The word written code is a technical term that means written Acknowledgement of debt. It's like an IOU. It's a statement of indebtedness, personally signed by the debtor. So the debtor sees it, says, that's right, I owe this debt, I can't pay it, and signs his name. It's placed in a public place for all to see. So we all have a written acknowledgement of debt with the details of our sin, and we have no legal leg to stand on. A written acknowledgement 
that stands opposed to us and it has my signature on it. I can't deny anything on it. Well, look what happens. God forgave us our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that stood against us, stood opposed to us, and he took it away. God canceled it. Now, how did he do that? It wasn't because he just had a good day and said, I think I'll just forgive everyone their sins today. Look what he does. He nails it to the cross. Think about that. You are forgiven. I am forgiven. Because God took a debt we couldn't pay and he nailed it to the cross and there Jesus paid it for us. We had an IOU with our name on it and there was nothing we could do. We would be indebted for eternity. But God took it away by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And look at verse 15. And having disarmed the powers and authorities. That word disarm means to strip off. All of Christ's life, Satan was at him, tempting him in the desert as Jesus fasted, tempting him in the garden, telling him not to go to the cross, telling him it wasn't worth it, telling him here's the shortcut. And here Paul says in verse 15, at the cross, he stripped off all of Satan's power and authority because he did what Satan did not want him to do. And he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. When we hear that and when we accept that truth, that is something we just cannot sit and do nothing about. We have to respond to that. And please stay with us. Ron returns in a few moments with a look at our next time together. Would you like to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus? One who experiences his power, peace, truth, and joy? Well, that's what Paul wanted for the Colossian church, and his letter to them still resonates with our hearts today. Let it resonate with yours by claiming your copy of Ron Moore's devotional titled Overflowing. This digital companion to the audio series we're currently enjoying will fill your soul with security, commitment, and liberty in Christ. You can get yours as a digital download for a gift of any amount at ronmore.org. That's ronmore.org. Your gift today will help keep the journey on the air, developing followers of Jesus Christ. Now let's rejoin Ron for a preview of our next broadcast. You've had your heart and your mind set on something. It absorbs your thinking. It drives you. You long for it. Think about it. What is it that your heart and mind is set on? What absorbs your thinking? What drives your actions? Is it Jesus? You say, Ron, you know, that's fine, and we would expect you to say that and ask that question. But, you know, life is messy. So, that'd be a great ideal, but, you know, we live in a real world. It's hard to keep our minds set on Christ all the time. Certainly for me it is too. So what does Paul mean when he talks about our heart and mind set on Christ? Does it mean that we retreat to some prayer closet and just have people slide stale bread and water in every once in a while? I don't believe so. This verse does not call us to withdraw from real life. It calls us to pursue Jesus in the midst of real, messy 
confusing, complex life. Skip down to verse 17. Paul says, In whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. You see any exceptions there? Whatever you do, accept. Not in my Bible. And whatever you do, in the midst of your doing. We hope you can join us for that message next time. And to help you experience the abundant life, we invite you to download a PDF copy of Overflowing. It's a powerful reminder that Christ has provided all you need for life and godliness, a life filled to overflowing. Overflowing is yours for a donation of any amount. You can get it online at ronmore.org. That's ronmore.org. Also, for our Pittsburgh area listeners, the real conversation continues at the Bible Chapel with Real Talk, Conversations from Corinth. In Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church, we'll discover what God has to say about leadership, sex, life, victory, and connection. This is a series you won't want to miss. The Bible Chapel has campuses across the greater Pittsburgh area. Visit BibleChapel.org for a location near you. Again, that address is BibleChapel.org. And if the journey has brightened your day and deepened your walk with Christ, won't you tell your friends and family about our program? Finally, please keep in mind that the journey relies on your generous donations to remain on the air, developing followers of Jesus Christ. Your gift today will be deeply appreciated. Thanks for listening, and we invite you to join Ron next time as we walk together on the journey.